Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California, now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. It's the time of the year when the heat cooks your brain. Nobody should ever have to make a serious decision when it's over 100 degrees. Nobody should be required to think at all. It's just too hot. Wait till it cools down before you make any big decisions. Like, I wonder if I should get up at all. Maybe just stay in, stay inside, close to the swamp cooler, get the bed arranged precisely within the air conditioner's vent path. Let nothing impede the flow of the cold stuff. I look at my mini-split AC and I understand in my heart that it's never going to get that room cool enough in desert summertime. So I'll just see how far it goes down on the liquid crystal display on the plastic controller that's always either out of batteries or has vanished entirely from this dimension. But while it's here and while it's working, how low will it go? 64? It's never going to be 64 in this room again, not until mid-October at 3 a.m. But sure, let's set it to 64 degrees. We can all pretend together. Deadline. The end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their homes, a studio executive told Deadline. Acknowledging the cold as ice approach, several other sources reiterated the statement. One insider called it, quote, a cruel but necessary evil. You know, if I had 30 or 40 or 500 million dollars and a very visible mansion in Los Angeles, I probably would not want to say those things, even anonymously. 
This is Desert Oracle Radio. Back in 2015, not long after the first issue of Desert Oracle was published, a Los Angeles Times reporter named Deborah Netburn wrote to me saying she wanted to do a feature story. I thought about it for a day or two, and then I remembered a very realistic a very romantic dream I'd had about the desert during a very cold and gloomy winter in Prague in the early 1990s. In this dream, I lived in some remote part of the Mojave Desert in brightest early springtime, and while it wasn't apparent what I did there, and it's still not, it involved a lot of my favorite things, driving along desert two lanes, typing and reading and recording in a little studio behind the house surrounded by Joshua trees, etc. All very evocative. And I wrote it all down in my notebook when I woke up in freezing cold Central Europe. One part of the dream I recalled with clarity was doing this interview with a reporter from, I think, a magazine I'd met the reporter at a truck stop and we were driving around the desert for unknown purposes but it stuck in my mind. So when I got this email from Deborah Netburn at the LA Times, I put it together and I realized that dream from 1992 was a view of my own future. Still decades away. So I wrote back and said, Yeah, let's meet at a diner on the highway and drive around while I deliver Desert Oracles to these various stops in the Mojave. I did not mention the prophetic dream part because I did not yet know Deborah Netburn. But she liked the idea for the story. She brought along the terrific photographer, Rick Loomis. And it was an enjoyable day, not least because both of them loved the Mojave and the Joshua Tree area in particular, which was not nearly as common a sentiment nine years ago as it is today. And in the years since, I've learned that Deborah Netburn welcomes conversations about prophetic dreams, about ancient and modern concepts of God and religion, about magic and divination. And of course about the publishing and periodical business we've both been tied up with for our whole lives. But tonight is the first time she has been on the radio program, so welcome Deborah Netburn to Desert Oracle Radio. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for sharing the story about the the prophetic dream. That's the first I've heard of it. I never told you that? No, no. I'm I'm like grinning here in my room. I, I love that. Yeah, that was a a real thing. I even located the notebook at some point. I've since lost it again. But it it sort of clicked a few days after you'd sent me an email. And I thought, well, I guess there was some direction to all of this. Yeah, I'm I'm just thrilled to be part of a, a prophetic dream and experience that might be my first one so thanks oh you're welcome (laughs) thanks for uh what do they call it uh manifesting it right right oh it was we had a really good time i love that story i love doing that story that was the first 
in-person interview I'd done uh, regarding Desert Oracle, and that's still my favorite article. You have now been a part-time resident for many years. Yeah. Rick Loomis said that he would come out here with a group of rock climbers going back to the 90s, so that's I, great. I felt very comfortable. Uh, let me read your current biography from the newspaper. It says, Deborah Netburn covers faith, spirituality, and joy for the Los Angeles Times. She started at the Times in 2006 and has worked across a wide range of sections, including entertainment, Home and Garden, National News, Technology, and Science. She's hung out with Tibetan monks in the Pacific Palisades, seen seahorses at the bottom of Alamitos Bay, and spent time with the working witches of Los Angeles. She's always looking for a good story. I love that kind of wandering beat to beat, you know, meaning newspaper beats, but it's also that beat generation idea of always seeking, of always looking for the characters who will make life more uh, interesting and fulfilling. And it seems rare in the modern news business, what's left of it anyway, where people tend to make their one beat their whole life and their whole personality. Biology Brenda on Twitter or Supreme Court Susie, Aerospace Andy, who has a TikTok channel, is very popular, I guess. And your path reminds me of the old days when newspaper beats were an intense and temporary education. You'd have total immersion into the police beat or education or environmental issues, agriculture, the military base, whatever was in your area. And then you move onward when you get comfortable and then you do it again in a new beat. Was that on purpose for you? Mm, I'm not sure it was on purpose, but it is suited to my personality. I always wanted to be a religion reporter because that's what I'm really interested, most interested in. But I couldn't get anyone to give me a job doing that. And so they, I first got hired in entertainment and I thought, I don't want to write about this, but you can't help but get curious. I can't help but get curious about whatever it is I'm writing about. And then they moved me to the home and garden section. And I thought, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and then it turned out I, I could write about plants all day. You know, that was really fun too. And, and then they moved me to national news and then they moved me to technology, which really seemed crazy. But I think being a curious person, I just think I'm inclined to be more kind of beginner's mind than an expert. But the other thing I'll say is that Biology Brenda, that's a brand. And so many journalists kind of need to have brands today, I think, right, to make it work. And I'm not sure I really have a brand. Being at a general newspaper has made it possible for me to, to have the type of career I've had. When did you move to the religion and spirituality and joy beef? I think it was one or two years ago. I can't remember. But it was it was definitely during the pandemic, I remember. And I'd been doing science for seven years before that. And science was really cool because that's also a not beat beat. Everything is science. So I was always learning something new. It was it was awesome. But 
in the pandemic, it was just all COVID all the time. And at, at a certain point, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. It was the summer of Delta. I've noticed this tremendous gulf between mainstream news media, sort of consensus reality, and what real people actually believe in practice. And I see reporters, especially on social media, but also when they're talking, doing their MSNBC appearance or whatever, being just intolerably smug about religion and rituals and the occult and just total dismissal of people who work in those areas or people who have made that an important part of their life. There's a news story you wrote about tarot readers being targeted by Instagram scammers who make fake duplicate accounts and then go after a real person's followers and try to steal their income. And I read the story and I I know a lot of tarot readers, as you might expect with Desert Oracle. And it seemed like a worthwhile story on another way the internet criminals are targeting people trying to make a living, but that's not the response you got from readers. Right. I took the people seriously, the tarot readers and the psychic seriously as people, and I believe that they feel they're helping their clients, their clients feel they're being helped, and that's like the definition of providing a service, right? I got so many emails from people threatening to cancel their subscription, offended that that this would be in a national newspaper. Why wasn't I clear that the, the psychics themselves were scammers? I did not anticipate that level of vitriol um, at these, and they were all women, the, the, the people I wrote about. I just, I, I didn't know people were so angry about them because kind of in my world and sphere, I know tons of people that get their tarot read, their astrology chart done, and I just didn't know there was just this, this anger about it. Uh, and it really made me think about what, what these women are, are doing and, and what they're subjecting themselves to by being public. This reminds me of the witch trials. That surprises me that that still exists in a place like Los Angeles. Right. I know. I agree. Although I also think that maybe people that believe in the esoteric kind of mystical way of of seeing the world, maybe they don't see themselves reflected in the L.A. Times. So they're not who's who's reading it anymore. Does that make sense? And then it's kind of like this other type of person that that is our reader. And so that's where where that anger comes from. Did you get anything like that with some of the other witch stories you've done? Two we were talking about before. One has the headline, This feminist witch introduced California to goddess worship. I think that would get you called a Satanist on Twitter today, just (laughs) saying those words. Um, This was about Susanna Budapest. Uh, Tell Mm -hmm. me about her. Oh, she's amazing. She was this refugee who had come to the U.S. after World War II and then was living like as a housewife in Long Island. And then I think her husband was on vacation with his mistress or something. And she was like 30 and she just had it. She hitchhiked across the country to California where she 
became uh, really out lesbian and started goddess worship. And you know, she's really kind of the, the inventor of modern American goddess worship. I, I can't believe I had the honor of meeting someone like that. And she'd host these big LSD-fueled women-only parties on the full moon in Malibu. She was really doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> she was really doing it. And then she she did have a witch trial because she got arrested for reading tarot cards at her you know witch shop. I think it was in Venice. And uh, most people just kind of paid the fine and, and went back to doing what they were doing, but she refused. And there was this big public trial. The LA Times was covering it daily. Uh, and, and she was calling it the first public witch trial in America in like a hundred years or when, something like that. When did this happen? I think it, well, I wish, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. I think it was early 70s. I think it was like 72 or something. So the modern era and, and LA County still had anti-witchcraft laws? Yeah. Uh, specifically anti, I mean, I think it was anti-tarot reading, but yeah, you could get arrested for that. And that was finally um, overturned. She, she was worked, she was like part of the case to get it overturned, but there was a, a different case that I think in the, in the eighties, it wasn't until the eighties when you were allowed to give a, a tarot reading legally. And it was, it was like a Romani person, I think, who, who finally won that case. I, I did not realize that it was illegal. Her name's Juzan, Jujana Budapest, but she- Jujana, sorry. Yeah, but she went by Z because most people couldn't pronounce the Jujana part. Um, so Z Budapest, and she was like such a showman, you know, so she really was very theatrical, like the whole the whole situation. And I kind of got the feeling like she was loving it. She's really playing it up, but she said it took a really big toll on her. And she, she left Los Angeles for San Francisco pretty soon after the, the trial was over. And that was a time when Los Angeles still had a reputation for uh, a pretty uh, reactionary right-wing government and police. Well, still has the police reputation. And San Francisco was where all the public occultists seemed to be going, even though it never went away in Los Angeles. And we have all these, I guess you could call them New Age or alternative or Eastern temples and societies from Philosophical Research Society and Los Feliz to the various temples at line sunset and Hollywood yeah, I Boulevards. Yeah, I say that like LA's reputation as the new age capital, I, I think is really well earned. You know, we've got a, a really rich history. LA is the most spiritually diverse city in the world. And so that's all forms of worship and, and belief systems. So it's a great city for me to be doing uh, the kind of work I'm doing right now. What became of Z Budapest? Did she stay in San Francisco? Did she keep doing these witch sabbats? Or she stayed in San Francisco for decades, and she wrote a lot of books, a ton of books. I think she had like a radio show actually up there. I want to read this paragraph from the story on Z Budapest. And I'll put links up to these stories on the Desert Oracle radio blog. 
she publicly hexed murderers and rapists. She wrote 13 books on ritual and witchcraft and founded the long-running International Goddess Festival, a biennial gathering of women in the California Redwoods that continues to this day. That's a great resume. Oh, yeah. She's really impressive. Have you ever spent time with people who are... Who've really lived like an enormous life, but then they're like 83 and they're just, oh, these are my favorite cookies from the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like big and small at the same time when I met her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because life goes on. Right. And these big wild moments, they're great when you collect them in a story. That's what storytellers do. But you still have to deal with the normal banality of life. You get old, you have to find a retirement place, you got to find a place to put your cauldron. You know, there might be (laughs) homeowners association rules. You probably can't do that sage smudging as much as you like because a smoke alarm keeps going off and the security guards come. Yeah, I mean, mean, COVID, she she put together a, a coven at the... I don't think it was retirement village people. I think it was other people in in the vicinity. But, you know, COVID put a damper on the coven. So she was kind of lonely when I met her. And, you know, just to think of this person who had just influenced so many people and inspired so many people and doing chair yoga. You know what I mean? It was just really, uh, yeah, it was interesting. She was really interesting. And this is a worthwhile thing to mention because I find that there's some momentous event in many of these people's lives, in the lives of people who are outliers, trendsetters, who are moving from social revolution to social revolution. She was part of the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. I learned in your story. And so she had to flee Hungary. Yeah. When I was with her, it it really was interesting. Because, like, she also, you know, her energy was was high, but then then she kind of crashed and she'd get really tired. And we we watched these Hungarian folk dances together on YouTube. I think that's, like, really calming and relaxing to her to watch these, these folk dances. And they... They really tell a story, and um, and they're really about courtship. And she's really attached to her her Hungarian roots too. Even the name Zsuzsa Budapest that was like a, a signal that she had come up with with her parents to uh, when when she left Hungary to let them know that she, she was okay. You did another story. This one goes back to 2019, where you interviewed a bunch of, and I love the phrase, working witches in L.A. How did you narrow it down to working witches? How did you find them? I was subscribed to the Oracle of Los Angeles. I I, I have an affinity for the word Oracle. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah. I think I subscribed to her newsletter or something, and and it was like something she said where she was like, I'm doing this and this. Oh, the life of a working witch. I knew that that was what she identified as and what she said her job was. And then I just thought, what does that really mean? How are you actually making money working as a witch? And so then I I went hunting for people who 
identify as witches and that's how they make their living. And I had too many. I, I had to, I, I spent time with more than made it into the story, but I, I had to cut it down for space. But yeah, it's pretty amazing that that can be a full-time job these days. It takes the place of a lot of traditional clergy that's not available anymore. Over the years, I get uh, calls from friends who like, something's happened and they they feel like they need to symbolically deal with it, but they don't know how to do it on their own. And they, they ask if, if I know someone who can help them. So like, you know, I know someone who is in a, like a lawsuit for years and he, you know, it's finally over, but he's just like so much anger and he feels like this, this person's haunting him. And, and so his wife called and was like, do you know, like a witch, you can we just help him. There's a really good quote in that story. It's when the Oracle of Los Angeles talks about how magic works. And it's like, yeah, we'll do the spell. We'll light the candle and then we get to work. You know, so it's, it's like, you know, they're not like, oh, abracadabra, I waved a wand and now you're healed or anything. But it's like we're going to do something symbolic and, and then now you have a task to do. That speaks to me personally. Yeah. I, I Here, really here's like the quote, things. I think. It says, and this is from the Oracle of Los Angeles. It's not like you wiggle your nose and your life is completely different. We work incrementally. If you want to win a Grammy, but you haven't written a song yet, we have a lot of work to do. That's right. That's, that to me is exactly what magic is about. It has to have a way to happen. Right. We're not defying the laws of nature. Magic doesn't defy the laws of nature and, and science. But, you know, it's like a kind of enchanted way of seeing the world. And I think it's it's more fun. To me, it's more fun. To, to see the world that way. And what age have we been in since the Industrial Revolution? The age of disenchantment. Mm, yes. Do you think we're you're turning a corner? Yes. I do too. And across the great Mojave wilderness, you have been listening to Desert Oracle Radio with musical soundscapes by our own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. I'm your host, Ken Lane. One day, one night, I mean, we're going to get this show live on the radio every night. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Maybe Thursdays through Sundays, ideal for your desert road trips. There's got to be a desperate radio station owner or program director looking at a zero audience AM night signal blasting out of Vegas or Albuquerque or Tucson or wherever. Drop me a line. Let's talk. I need a change. Radio at DesertOracle.com Go to DesertOracle.com to support this program on our Patreon account and order a subscription to our pocket-sized periodical. Issue number 10 is out now or choose number 11 to get the autumn issue. Thanks for listening. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>